You're listening to Wood Talk Online with your hosts, Mark and Matt. Take it away, boys. Hi, and welcome to the first episode of Wood Talk Online. My name is Matt Vanderlis, and I'm the host of Matt's Basement Workshop Podcast. And I'm Mark Spagnolo, host of the Wood Whisperer Video Podcast. Uh, we're both the hosts of Wood Talk Online. Now, Wood Talk Online is a brand new podcast for woodworkers and by woodworkers. <laughs> That's right, Mark. And even though we both have our own regular podcasts, here on Wood Talk Online, we have an opportunity to do something every woodworker enjoys doing, and that's talking shop with good friends. Exactly. Uh, with each episode, we'll be able to share ideas, talk about tools, techniques, and projects. We'll also have a chance to answer listener emails as they start to roll in. Absolutely. And we know you, the listeners, have questions because, well, occasionally we have questions. So starting today, you have a great place to send them. So if you do have a woodworking-related question, feel free to email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com. So let's start talking some wood, Matt. Uh, what are you up to in your shop right now? Well, at the moment, I'm actually uh, I'm kind of in that, that limbo stage. I just finished up a really big project, and so now I'm kind of going through and re, not, I don't want to say reorganizing the, the, the shop, but kind of just right. maybe picking up the clutter, you know, the, the scraps that were, I, you know, I kind of kicked to the side a little bit. That's, uh, it's, it's therapeutic me time, I like to think of it. Exactly. You know, because you've been in the shop for so long that it's kind of hard to pull yourself away from it if you really think about it. So, yeah, so I'm kind of doing a little bit of that and, uh, you know, um, maybe sharpening up a few tools that I've been working on that, well, in the last project, they got a little dull, but it's kind of, you know, set those aside and we'll do that later on. Sure. It's right. a great opportunity to take care of that, too. And But, you know, more or less, I'm just kind of hiding out from the family. I just don't want them to know that I'm down here right now. <laughs> don't let them listen to this. That's our secret. That's right. I used to, uh, I think I used to know a guy who's, uh, he just used to have this wooden sign that uh, above his shop that was said spousal avoidance center. I believe <laughs> so. Um, I don't, I don't avoid my wife. She's, she's cool. Um, we'll let, yeah, we'll let her think that I don't avoid her. So, <laughs> how long have you been married? Because I don't think that's long enough, man. It's oh, like... <laughs> about thir- thirty-five years. Um, oh yeah, yeah. That's about how long I've been married. So, exactly. Huh. <laughs> now it feels like it's only been about a day. So. Oh yeah, exactly. Anyway. In case she's listening, I know she subscribes. <laughs> right. Yeah, she's she's active online, so you, we got to watch out what we say. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, things as far as what I'm doing right now, we're um, well. There's always something going on. I think I'm biting off a little more than I could chew these days uh, between projects and just podcast preparation and shop upgrades. And uh, I posted not too long ago on uh, on my blog about the the summer upgrades we're aiming for: air conditioning and uh, insulation and all that stuff. So, <laughs> what? No more sweating during the projects? <laughs> you know, let me tell you about hot summers in Arizona and woodworking and dust and sweat and you just you, you haven't lived until you're you you have to pull your respirator away to drain the liquid <laughs> and i mean if you're trying to finish something forget about it it's it's just it's ridiculous so oh um, come on now A- arizona though you have that dry heat it is dry until i sweat and then my sweat moistens the air and then it's just this like this whole cycle it's really bad uh but yeah i mean the thing is it's really truthfully it's not that bad in terms of the temperature if it's w- below 110 i actually can deal with that it's not too bad uh but it's the uh the, the upper 110 120 days that forget about it so two years is enough time i think for me to put in my time and, I, and it's time for some air conditioning so it'll be a much more productive wood whisperer summer i think with uh with air conditioning than without so gotcha good deal um, actually, and I did want to mention, I thought this would be pretty cool to talk about cause, uh, you know, even as a quote unquote professional, uh, I still run into finishing problems. I mean, it's just 
the nature of the game, uh, had a refinishing project that was doing for a customer. And um, it was a big table and bench. I think people who've been watching the uh, webcam have seen it and put a nice little stain on there. It's like a mahogany stain. And I tried a new poly on top. I used a verithane high build polyurethane. Uh-oh. And uh, I, I, I really still don't know exactly what happened, but the first coat on, um, in fact, I actually put a shellac sealer on top of the stain uh-huh. and then put a coat of this high build on the second coat. I got the weirdest, it was definitely a sign of a poor adhesion issue, but these like cross hatch marks, they almost look like uh, crystals if you look at it like a snowflake or something, but okay. they were like X's all over the piece where the previous coat was lifting. What? <laughs> yeah, and, and I've never seen anything like it before. And I'm like, this is just, you know, oil-based stain, coat of shellac, coat of poly. What the heck could have gone wrong? Um, so I was I was pretty frustrated with that. So of course I moved the webcam away from what I was doing and went and fixed it. <laughs> yeah. Huh? Yeah. Let's, uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to deal with those questions yet. So yeah. No kidding. <laughs> so I don't. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the product, and I'm not even saying that I. You know that. It, it, well, it could have been my fault. It could have been something I did. But the bottom right. line is, it was just poly. There's not a whole lot that I could have done wrong. Um, so I took it back to Home Depot. They didn't want it, but they gave me my money back. So now I have three quarters of a gallon of Verithane high-build polyurethane if anyone wants to come and pick it up. Because <laughs> I'm ready to uh, to throw it out the friggin' window at this point. So, Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, so that, that, that was no fun, and that, that probably is, is the uh, the bulk of what I've been doing lately is a, a little bit of a do-over. So <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All right, Mark. Well, let, let's move on to we actually received some email for some listeners. You know, we, we both put it out in our podcast. And, well, amazingly, we actually have some listeners that had some questions for us. I'm so, amazed that we have some listeners. So am I. You know what? And <laughs> I, keep, I keep trying to prove the statistics to my wife. I keep asking her to look at them, and she refuses to because she thinks I'm just making this stuff up. Uh, most likely. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. You know, my mom listens, so I know I have one. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, I've got one, too. My mom listens, too. That's That's great. You can always count on, always count on your mom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So cool. she doesn't know how to use a computer, but anyways, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have a I have one here from uh, Travis actually. Okay. Uh, he asks about glue squeeze out, which is as simple as it sounds, is probably a really really relevant question for for people to know what the best way to handle that is. Oh yeah. Uh, and of course, there really is no best way. Um, there's my way. There's your way. And there's uh, you know some other guy's way or girl's way. But. Um, yeah, and I think I've used several different ways myself over time, and so well, and it also depends on how lazy I feel that day too. You know, <laughs> that so. that is the way I choose just about any project I work on. So. <laughs> how lazy do I feel? Okay, so, well, he writes. Uh, well, I don't need to read the complimentary stuff. Uh, you, oh, come on, we've got eagles. We love to stroke. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, okay, I'll read it. Uh, what a great idea for a new podcast! I like the roundtable answering listener questions format that you have planned. However, I would love to see it as its own separate podcast. This is actually a pretty good point that he brings up because he wants to mm-hmm. have us have a separate RSS feed for this. And I think that is something we'll do in the future. Um, but for right now, we're going to co-release it. And I apologize ahead of time for anybody who has uh, a redundant download between uh, Matt's show <laughs> and my show. But um, double your fun, double your pleasure. Uh, you can just, you can never get enough of Mark and Matt, and you guys and gals know it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so at any rate, I uh, can't wait for the first episode, and uh, me either, actually. Uh, yeah. So in honor of your first <laughs> podcast, 
I'll throw out a question that's been bothering me. I'm a brand new woodworker and I've got no idea how to handle glue squeeze out. From what I understand, you can't really wipe it away because it pushes the glue into the pores and will ruin the finish later. But I see Norm Abrams oh, will use a damp sponge, uh, damp sponge to wipe it away. Uh, I've also heard people will leave it alone and scrape it later. But how do you get to those tight areas such as 90 degree angles or even tighter? David Marks uses blue tape, but how effective is that? Is there an easier way? I guess my question is, how do you handle glue squeeze out? Thanks again. <laughs> I love both of your shows. Uh, can't wait for this new one. We love you too, Travis. That, absolutely. Thank you so much for emailing us. <laughs> yes, absolutely. The, 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 the give us something to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to give them a raise. Um, squeeze out is, uh, I guess, like I said, I mean, depending on if I'm feeling lazy or not, um, it also depends on how the project is going to be treated after I'm done. So mm-hmm. if it's... Um, a project that I know I'm going to be able to do a significant amount of sanding afterwards. I don't really worry about it too much. I might grab a damp rag and wipe off the excess and get it, you know, get the gook out of the corner. But if you're looking at something that's just going to get a light 220 sanding and then you're staining and finishing, you have to be more careful than that because, you know, he's absolutely right. You will get the the glue down into the pores. Oh, I never want to think about that. How how many times is just... (laughs) Well, exactly. Well, just like he says, the corner of a cabinet, the inside corner of a cabinet, let's say you're putting a a piece of plywood into a nice long dado, how do you stop that from getting up over the edge? And then once Mm -hmm. it's there, what the heck do you do with it? So um, I could just say what I do. Uh, Generally, if you're doing, let's say, a tabletop and you got all those little droplets and all the little bubbles, uh, I leave them alone for about a half hour. Uh, and that's usually the sweet spot. At about 30 minutes, you're going to notice it's skinned over. It's mm-hmm. at the point, uh, well, sometimes 30 to 40 minutes, uh, but it's at the point where if I scrape it now at 30 to 40 minutes, they'll actually just pop off. Uh, if you do it, let's say, five minutes or 10 minutes after you've uh, clamped everything up, you're just going to spread the glue around, even if you use a scraper. Oh, uh, absolutely. But, it, but 30 to 40 minutes is definitely the sweet spot, and you run that scraper across, and I've shown it in a few of my videos, um, and those little bubbles just boop, 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 drop right off, and you really light sanding should take care of any little bit of absorption that took place. Um, and that's the best way that I find to handle it. Wait till that sweet spot. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's pretty much, I'm very similar. Um, usually most of the time, if it's, if, like you said, if it's a, a, a component that's going to be seeing, well, it's going to be seen the most like a tabletop, uh, anything like that. Yeah. I will take that extra effort to actually come back down to the shop and after 30, 40 minutes and, and try to remove it because I just, I mean, all of us have probably had that nightmare scenario with the, the glue getting into the, the pores and everything. Yeah, and you don't you don't really you don't want to give in to the laziness because you're going to pay the price later. You always yeah. will regret <laughs> not taking care of it the proper way the first time. Oh, um, yes. Now, how do you handle if you're in a tight corner? What do you usually do for that? Um, let's see here. Uh, I really decide if it's that important, and then I uh, now pretty much <laughs> then I try to convince the people that what they're seeing is the most important part about custom woodworking. It's the little <laughs> uniqueness to it. Exactly, it's the originality, <laughs> the little flaws here and there. Right. No, usually what I'll try to do is um, I have like a uh, um, an old chisel that you know I, I inherited that I just can't keep bringing around or anything, and I'll try to get it the best I can with that, just kind of slowly get in there without nicking the, the actual wood or anything, and try to pop them off that way as they get a, you know, a little bit harder so you can get it out of there. Um, you know, I, it's, I, I, I try to avoid at all costs the uh, damp sponge and stuff like that because yeah. I think the problem I have with that is I tend to be a little overzealous with the water, you know, a, a little bit, but so therefore a lot more must be twice <laughs> as good, right. and I seem to, like, wash away the glue. Well, so, that could be a problem too, huh? Yeah, so I it's... I think about that. 
Yeah, so I usually I try the scraper method, or I, I'll come in and try and you know do what I can with a uh, like the chisel or something to get into that corner, maybe pop it out. Sure. You know, but yeah, usually I I don't want to think about it. Yeah, well, I'll either I do your method if I've got a a chisel handy, I'll use a chisel. Um, another thing I find useful is just a card scraper. Uh huh. Um, okay. You, yep. You can get the corner of a card scraper right into a tight corner and just very carefully, you know, methodically, just take a couple of pulls back toward you, and you can actually clean it up relatively okay. easily. So I should write uh, that one down. <laughs> write it down. It's gospel. Gospel That's, according to Mark. There you go. <laughs> um, as I offend religious people. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, you want to hit our next one? Sure. Let's see here. All right. Well, our next one comes from Greg. And uh, he basically is asking, what are a couple of good ways to clean pitch off table saw blades? Uh, thanks, Greg. Get married. Yes. Uh, your wife well, will I, do it. Oh, your wife will come down and, and play with your two. Oh, never mind. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Whoopsie. Uh, yeah, she would never touch any of my saw blades ever. But it would be nice if she would pitch in a little bit and help out. That would be oh. great. Pitch in, huh? Bah, well, that's what we're trying wah, to get. Wah, wah. <laughs> uh, well, one thing. One thing I do is um, I use a, a little product uh, from it's Bow Shield T9, and I've talked about this in my show before. They have a whole line of um, basically cleaning tool or cleaning tools, uh, cleaning products, and yes. then also lubricating products. And the funny thing is, I actually discovered this. I used to be a mountain biker. If you'd seen any pictures of me now, you wouldn't believe it mm -hmm. that it's a really big, thick mountain bike. But <laughs> uh, um, they have one that's blade and bit resin gum and pitch remover. Okay. And I use this one. Basically, it's 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 pretty simple. You can use it for saw blades and whatever type of bits and everything else you're going to be using. Sure. And it's really kind of like one of those you uh, spray, spray it on, especially the uh, the areas that need it the most. Uh, allow it to penetrate for like up to a minute or so, according to the recommendations on it. And then come in and wipe. Well, hopefully you just have to wipe it away and the pitch is going to come off with it. But if you have to work at it a little bit more, obviously you can probably take like a, uh, um, I'm trying to think of what I've used in the past that didn't actually ruin the blade. <laughs> it was like a, maybe like a brush or something like that and come in there and really work at it because obviously the, the, the pitch and the resin and everything else, it's, you know, potentially could lead to, lead to rusting. It's going to damage the blade. And obviously it's not going to help you with it being sharp at all. It's going to be in the way. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, what's interesting. I never um, used any of the other T9 bow shield products. I've only used the standard lubricant that everybody uses for cast iron surfaces and stuff. But uh, okay. um, is it like a harsh chemical type thing? Is it real? And you know, like, you know how there's the simple green, methods the more uh natural methods versus just straight chemical right um it, it i would imagine it's more on the chemical side yeah they, they say it's fast safe and easy well fast and easy yes safe i don't know because my eyes tend to burn if i make the mistake of i'll just do it down here in the shop rather than not being <laughs> lazy and going out to the garage to do it or something well i guess so. when your eyes burn that's a good indication that it probably isn't safe and, and usually that, it's too late to read the warning that says if eye contact occurs flush <laughs> <with> water <laughs> nice that's that's good well i uh i actually use something and i honestly don't know what's in it because they don't really label it that well um a few years ago i think i got some stocking stuffers from the family and for some reason uh, everybody thought i wanted pitch and resin remover um, <laughs> okay <laughs> so i got like a gallon of the stuff and honestly i reuse it i just pour it into a, a wide bowl put my blade down in let it soak and then pour it back into the can and i'm, I'm probably still in the same initial container uh but this stuff smells like 
I don't know. You know those orange cleaning solutions? It's just like natural orange, whatever, blah, blah, Absolutely. blah. Absolutely. The citrusy. Yeah, it's very yep. citrusy smelling. It smells great. And um, I imagine it's along those lines uh, of that type of a cleaner, but it's really effective. I let it soak for about five minutes and I just grab either a little uh, acid brush or uh, some kind of an abrasive pad, clean up the teeth, and it's good to go. I rinse it off with water and uh, it's not real caustic or anything. Uh, pour the remainder back into the bottle and, and just reuse it later. So uh, that's, you know, and I think they still sell this stuff at Rockler. Okay. Um, honestly, that's that's the best recommendation I would have uh, from my experience. Yeah, I probably should want to try this. this. I know this one's getting old anyways, so maybe I'll just simply kind of... Uh set it aside and get something new because I've got some that are coming up and really with you know the two kids around and everything in my shop uh, I kind of want to avoid anything that's really makes your eyes burn (laughs) yeah yeah, exactly go as green as possible well speaking of green I hear a lot about people using um, simple green as a similar solution as the uh, this orange garbage that I use Um, so I imagine it would be just as you know friendly uh, environmentally friendly and just not not nasty to use so that's a suggestion for people. But the bottom line is it's good that you're concerned about uh, cleaning the pitch off of the blade because a lot of people, uh, they get to the point, they think they've got a dull blade, and the reality is they just got a buildup of pitch and resin. So uh, good cleaning now and then. I, I do it about once every uh, month um, based on my usage, but it's a good idea to do on a regular basis. Yeah, absolutely. And that's it, it, a good point about the fact that it's when you, you it starts kind of building up and you do think that the uh, the tool is starting to dull down, which eventually, even if it's not a, a dull blade, but it can start affecting the motor. So then you start running into whole other issues because the motor's working harder and you're just getting mm-hmm. irritated. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we can move into our next one. Um, okay. This email kind of is going to push us into our main feature that we were hoping to talk a little bit about, uh, and that's pricing your work. Oh, yeah, definitely. We could probably sit here for a day and have this conversation because it's so uh, subjective. It just depends on where you are. It depends on what kind of neighborhood you live in and what kind of co- you know clientele you can actually pull in. If you're a hobbyist, uh, your priorities are going to be very different than if you're a professional. Uh, I know lots of guys, and I'm sure, Matt, you could attest to this. You're just happy to get enough money to pay for a tool or maybe even to break even to justify <laughs> to your, your wife buying tools. You know, I mean, it's uh, – Absolutely. You're, you're, you're not asking for too much out of it. So uh, pricing projects is, is a very important thing for a lot of people. Um, so let me go ahead and read the email. This is actually from James. Okay. Uh, uh, he calls himself Jamie, so we'll call him Jamie. Uh, I'm in the process of starting up my own woodworking business and I'm trying to nail down a pricing formula that works for most custom projects. I've been uh, totaling the price of materials and multiplying them by four and also adding 10 to 15% to cover sales tax and other miscellaneous costs. I'm not sure uh, that it works well enough to cover labor and give me a little uh, profit for shop improvement. Now this is a topic that most woodworking magazines neglect to cover uh, project cost formula. Please let me know if this is a good topic of interest, and clearly it is, Jamie. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, um, I would have to say that's probably not a great way to do it, um, What his approach. I know a lot of people who do you know, two times the materials, three times, some arbitrary number. And oh, yeah. That's, that's, I mean, I guess if it, on a hobby level, that might be okay because you, you know at least here's your investment in materials. You're not so concerned about your labor investment because you're right. really getting something out of the process. Exactly. Uh, 
at the end of the day, you know, at the, at the, I'm sorry, at the end of the day, it's like one of those, you know, hey guys, come on, I got enough money, daddy's made enough, let's go head over to Red Lobster. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, if, if in that case, and I even do the same thing now, if I make a little bit of extra money, it's a nice night out for my wife and I, you know, we go have a nice dinner. Um, and especially if you're in into it just as a hobby, that's your hobby money. That's how you get more wood for the next project. So exactly, um, you can get away with two times, three times the cost of materials and just say that that's your formula. Yep. But there, I don't really see there being a magic formula. I think there's a system to make sure you get exactly what you're worth for your time and to make sure you get a certain amount above the cost of materials. The problem is if somebody wants you to sculpt a work of art out of pine, your materials <laughs> cost is going to be very low, but your labor cost may be very high. So right. two or three times or four times the materials isn't going to get you very far. So what I do uh, for my business is first and foremost, I calculate my materials. I draw everything up, figure out what it's going to cost. And I may add 10 to 15% uh, of a markup because I got to drive there to get it. Um, you know, the price may change and fluctuate before I get a chance to actually get to the lumber store and I get a materials cost. Um, at that point, I need to figure out my labor. And honestly, the key here is to, you got to know yourself. You have to know your work habits and you have to figure out how long is it going to take me to mill? How long is it going to take me to uh, mill up the joinery? How long is it going to take me to finish? Uh, once okay. you get, you know, once you get all that stuff laid out, your formula is done. All you really need to do is figure out at that point, how much am I worth per hour? Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you've got $30 an hour, $40 an hour as a, you know, your, your shop rate, once you start adding all those numbers together, add in your materials cost on top of that and look at that number, see where it takes you. And then you'll sort of have a gut feeling sometimes. And if the number is just an astronomical number, you may need to lower your shop rate or, or just be satisfied with making less money for the job or work faster. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but that's, that's kind of, that's kind of my my magic formula that I use. I mean, it's, it's not magic at all. It's just common sense really. Um, but it makes sure that you make enough and you make sure that your, your value uh, per hour is enough to compensate you for your time. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, you know, and it's kind of funny cause this is one of those totally a, a kind of a, I guess maybe a tangent here, but my, my wife and I have kind of gone through something a little bit similar. She's a, she's a budding photographer and she's mm -hmm. been doing it for a couple of years and we keep going back and forth on the pricing thing because she really, um, uh, under undervalues herself basically for her for what she's doing, and, and mm -hmm. she is creating a product or, or a product just like woodworkers would be doing, and it really is kind of like one of those you, you need to sit down and if you want to be serious about it, you need to you know really not not undervalue yourself, but at the same time you know like maybe not overvalue yourself unless of course your market can handle it, um, right. and if that's the case, I want to move to that area. <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely, and you do that. I mean, the regional concerns. I mean, you have to be concerned with where you are. Um, where I'm at in my particular neighborhood, it's, I would say middle class. Uh, but a lot of my customers are from Scottsdale and that is definitely more of an upper class area. And it's not, not to say that you want to charge people, you know, blatantly charge them more just because of where they live. Um, but there is an expectation of a certain value and a certain cost for a product. Um, the bottom, the way I look at it is when I get a customer that's, you know, that I can tell just is not going to accept what my normal bid might be, I then have to make a decision. Do I want to just get this customer, even if I'm not making the money I want to make, is it worth it to attain this customer uh, and get them on my side? Or, you know, for the, for the person who actually is, let's say from Scottsdale, um, 
you know, there, there's just an expectation of a higher quality product. And with those customers, sometimes I feel like I actually get paid what I'm worth right. as opposed to it most of the other times where I'm compromising what I feel I'm worth just for the sake of bringing some money in and gaining a customer. Right. You know, and I think this also, sorry to, to, to go off on another tangent here, no, go ahead. but this is kind of like one of those where it's, I, I think, and I've talked about this, I don't know, maybe I, I started to talk about this. Maybe I just talked about this with my wife, not on my podcast or anything. But it really seems like there's this notion of, like you said, you get paid for the, you know, the value and for your time and everything else for, you know, what it's really worth. There's, there's almost seems like a lot of people out there don't understand the concept of, Custom woodworking or quality woodworking yes. or quality furniture. They they keep thinking of like you know the big box store where you can go in and you know after a half an hour of assembly and maybe some cussing and swearing you've got quality furniture. Right. And so they they don't understand the pricing, you know. And I, sometimes I think that's one of those maybe some woodworkers even especially hobbyists might undervalue their product as a result because they're like well you know you can go down to uh, you know Target down there and they've mm-hmm. got you know you know you get the same product or the same project basically for half the price i could never compete against that sure now and i think a lot of uh, another factor is the fact that since woodworking is something where there is a huge percentage of woodworkers that are hobbyists that don't necessarily need the money they Mm -hmm. aren't necessarily interested in a bottom dollar because it's not feeding their family so they will go out and produce work that is just as good as a professional level quality but they don't have to charge as much because it's not their business you know so you sort of and I would never want to discourage hobbyists from from selling their work. Sell it for a dollar if if that's what you want to do. Um, but I'm just sort of explaining that as as a potential reason why some people may not expect the prices that a custom woodworker uh, who's in it for uh, you know for the long run and who, who's making a living from it what they might actually charge. Now right. there was a, a really cool article and uh, so it's a while back now, October 2006, Cabinet Maker Magazine. It's a little small shop magazine that I get. Um, they put a, highlighted a few different projects. Um, one of them I think that would be of interest is this small cabinet with hand cut dovetail drawers. It's a figured, uh, really nicely figured maple cabinet. Uh, And it looks like just to hold like little teacups and and things and hang the thing on the wall, two drawers, one door, a couple shelves. Uh, it's really gorgeous, but typical of something that a hobbyist woodworker, uh, would probably do. And then something that someone might commission. Uh, And they basically did a national survey and got a bunch of different bids. And the average, let's see, the average materials cost, what people determined the the materials to be, was uh, $226. Uh, Okay. So that's a reasonable investment in in materials. And the shop rate average was $52 an hour. Okay. And these are actually professionals. These are people who, you know, not just just hobbyists. These are uh, regular businesses that that put in bids for this. But the shop rate, the interesting thing, the average was 52, but the shop rate varied uh, immensely. It was, I think the lowest was $30 an hour. And the other was, uh, let's see, the highest was $75 an hour. So huge variance. Now the the $75 was in, you know what's really horrible? MN, that's Minnesota. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know what the abbreviation is for Minnesota. Oh, uh, is it M M N? That's what I. Th- that's it, what I'm thinking. M N, right? Is it? Yeah, God, I think that's so. Terrible. Jeez. Yeah, it's geography. What the heck is that? <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, so Minnesota had the highest rate. That was the seventy-five dollars, and Pennsylvania was the one that had the uh, the lowest rate at thirty-five dollars. Holy um, cats! So, so they they had like several of these projects in here. Um, oh, and by the way, the total bid average was insane the price range from that let's see the lowest priced one is the 547 dollar 
uh, price for this cabinet. And the highest was actually in Connecticut, uh, $2,500. Holy smack. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, I don't know what the reason for that variance is, but it really shows how to one woodworker, something is just a lot of work and, and they, you know, have to charge a lot for it. And to another person, maybe it's just a love of the craft um, that they are giving the stuff away, you know, at a bargain price. I mean, this cabinet is definitely worth more than 550 bucks. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, well, so. I wonder if that, you know, you were saying that shop rate for Minnesota, that was the highest one. Was it the Minnesota one that we were thinking yep. that MN? Uh-huh. I wonder if that's just because it gets so cold there in the winter, they have to decide if the wood was worth burning or making a project out of. Yeah, exactly. Well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's, it, I was just, it was kind of an eye opener for me and they've got several other projects in here. Um, yeah, they have like kitchens and stuff, but I thought that was a little less interesting. I don't, I don't think many of us or the people who listen to us are competing on, um, you know, kitchen builds. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think most of us are more one-off, uh, small furniture making type people. Right. Um, no, but, I think I think you definitely picked the right project there for, to give an example because that does sound like something you know across the range of hobbyists yeah. to professional. So, but I will say across all of the projects, and they went like I said, this is a nationwide survey. The shop rate average was between fifty and sixty dollars per hour. Um, okay. I can honestly say, and I, I don't mind telling people, my shop rate varies between forty and fifty dollars an hour depending on what I'm working on. Um, so clearly I need to raise my prices, Uh, (laughs) but that, that's a very important thing for people to determine. This is what other people are being paid is this roundabout 50 bucks, 60 bucks an hour. Um, you you should try thinking of that as what you're worth, even as a hobbyist, um, and then get that number. And then if, if that number doesn't feel good to you, if it, if you know, just is going against your gut feeling for what you should charge, uh, fine, then lower it. But at least that's how you develop your standard. Uh, to determine pricing for projects. That sounds good. That definitely. Cause I've played around with that, trying to set a shop rate in, 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 in the basement workshop here. And uh, that's, that's the thing is I'll look at it and I'm like, Oh man, there's just, I like this person. I don't want to charge them this, but you know, yeah. then at the same time, it's like, yeah, but you know what? They don't really, I don't know. It's yeah. I, I would like to do that a little bit more because sometimes I, I do get kind of stuck in that. And you mentioned this way earlier, the, you know, who who are you going to attract the person that you know you wants to pay less kind of a thing and therefore yeah. you know maybe not appreciate it or you know anything like that I've I've definitely come across that a few times for a couple right. of commission jobs well and for your own records and for your own you know peace of mind and and consult you know sort of developing a business on the side maybe one day you will maybe when you retire you're going to go into this as a business it'd be nice to have this all worked out ahead of time so like I said get get that shop rate put it on paper, and then if it's way high for a particular customer, write it as a discount. So if you're going to give them a $1,000 discount, and let them know, you know, so that people understand this is the value of this material, and I like you enough to give you $500. You know, Absolutely. Whatever yeah. it is. But it'll be helpful for you as a woodworker to, to kind of get those numbers set out ahead of time. Sweet. Definitely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this, uh, good, because that, that's definitely – I'm sure I'm not the only one that's thought about that question or, or Jamie there too. So <laughs> Yeah, and, and you want to get it worked out because uh, I've had a few incidents with uh, a buddy of mine that I, I do some projects with where uh, we completely underestimated the time and we priced it out. We got a fair price for the project. We were doing a, a library, not a library, we were doing a 18 or 20 bookshelves and a bunch of other things for a, a Christian bookstore. Um, and it was a huge project, completely underestimated the time. And I think when it was all said and done, uh, subtracting out the materials, I think if we're lucky, we both made about three dollars an hour. 
that's that sounds about what uh what's going on that this project i was just finishing up that i i'm finally having a chance to come into the into the shop to start you know cleaning things up and everything that's why it was a, a set of bookcases and a uh like a i don't know what you really call it, like an entertainment center type thing and that was one of those when i priced it out i way underestimated how much time i was going to put into it yeah. so i think if you if you broke it down per hour i was maybe making 25 cents an hour you know it's <laughs> really what it worked out so it's just like it, it literally was like you know one of those we're going to get the value meals tonight but we're sharing <laughs> one happy meal <laughs> well matt i think you're worth at least 35 cents thank you that's more than my wife will pay for me so <laughs> oh man well i think we're did, did i hear someone yell uh the aiden is still looking for madison so <laughs> oh. oh okay well someone should find madison because uh aiden's worried uh well i would say we're probably going pretty long on this and uh we don't really have any time targets for these podcasts uh but we nope. probably should sense when we w- worn out our welcome in, in their ears yeah, definitely. That's one of those. Uh, <laughs> by this point, anybody that's listened to this while driving may have swerved off several times. So, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I guess we should probably start to wrap up. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, I did want to say that, uh, you know, since the podcast is pretty much a joint experiment here, we don't know where it's going and, and what we're going to do uh, between Matt and I, uh, we plan on co-releasing this one and future episodes on both of our websites. And like I said, it's, there's going to be some redundancy there, but uh, you know, live with it for a little bit and we'll, we'll probably get it worked out as time goes on. Uh, and if the feedback is good and we can commit to some sort of schedule, uh, we may even consider starting up a, a completely separate website with a separate feed and do this on some committed, you know, regular basis, hopefully weekly if things go well. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, if if you really like this or even, you know, whatever's going on, just let us know what, you know, what you think about the show. And you can send us questions at woodtalkonline at gmail.com, woodtalkonline at gmail.com. We'll be looking forward to those. And uh, just get them in. Do it. Absolutely. (laughs) Send them in.